0: Hello everyone, this is Omar Shaker and I'd like to welcome you all to the very first episode of this audio cast that is meant to accompany a book I wrote, or part one of a book I wrote, which is titled In Search of Gumption Thank you all for subscribing, it means the world to me that you did This is a very personal project of mine I'm not quite sure if I'm ever going to publish this book. But I am very sure that there is a message to be shared and that it needs to be participatory. And that's why I'm trying to break out of text with this uh, recording and try to bring to life some of the chapters and some of the people that inspire the chapters. So if you enjoy this, please do let me know. I would love to hear your takes on what inspired you. So please do leave a comment or send me an email. And if you would like to even share your voice with us, I would love to interview you and kind of just banter around and see what comes up. This very first episode is quite special because... The guest is a very special guy. I gave him the option to be anonymous, but um, he chose to identify himself. And so I am very excited to be introducing my very first guest and a major source of inspiration for writing this, the one and only Mr. Paul Kist, Paul is both a software engineer and a musical composer. He's one of the people that strike me as having this very elusive balance between right brain and left brain. And I can go into very deep philosophical conversations with him, and at the same time, he can be so present in identifying how someone feels and connecting with them and sharing some profound insights into how we connect And kind of living that and and breathing that, Uh, everyone that knows him knows that he has this gift of human connection. I've known Paul for a little over five years now. And when I lived back in San Francisco, we used to have these therapy sessions, we called them, which is basically just getting a nice dinner and some drinks (laughs) and really talking about the raw feelings and the tough stuff and i always felt seen and heard uh, but at the same time these conversations always left me feeling just a little lighter that i was able to share something that was perhaps dark and not necessarily happy or funny um but but always was accepted and was always um heard and there was always some kind of wisdom that I felt I can uh, take away from it. And so I'm, I'm happy to share one of these conversations with you guys. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I have. Hey man. Hey there. It's really good to have you here. I'm very excited. Uh, Thanks for taking the time. It's very fitting to be starting the conversation with you because of the amount of support that you've given me as a person, but also to the writing of this whole thing. So I appreciate you taking the time to be with us today.
1: It's been awesome seeing this story take shape over the last, it's been about a year and a half now that this story has been sort of in development and it's been, it's been a lot of fun and a huge honor to see this sort of take shape. Um, happy to be chatting with you and uh, your audience today, you've
0: Actually, given me a lot of content and visuals, and one of them was the first chapter of the book, which Muscat is in the future, right, in a more superior version of himself, if you will, and he meets this bull, and he's able to have a very interesting encounter. That, uh, to me, I thought we can. There's a lot to be learned uh, from from that uh, like specific confrontation, and I almost wrote the story, you know, verbatim. Uh, as as much as i was able to, to glean from it so why don't we start off by you telling us what happened on that very fateful day
1: and so yeah it was i believe it was like it was valentine's day weekend uh 2020 it was right before this whole pandemic uh erupted and you know once a year i do go up around my birthday to you know to the north bay specifically to bolinas and that was my um Trip up there, and on my way back from the town of Bulliness, I sort of stopped on Route One. There's a bunch of trails that embark from there, uh, just to do like a little bit of a hike, couple of miles, just get into nature, you know, talk to trees, connect with uh, the plants, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you when you go hiking in the Bay Area, you see animals. You know, that's definitely a thing, you know. And you know, you and I have encountered elk and coyote. Um Up in you know the point Reyes area, and sometimes you encounter oh, yeah. uh you know livestock <laughs> which which is kind of what happened over here at the start of the trailhead. there were a couple of cows grazing, and you see that a lot too you see um sometimes you know far like nearby farms livestock you know cattle whatnot will find themselves grazing a little bit outside of you know the property and in this case, there were a couple of cows up you know um in the entrance. And so I went on my merry way, you know, sort of like navigating around manure on the trail. And then I found myself in a really quiet place and I was uh, hiking for about a mile without anyone really in sight. It was just me, birds chirping. Um, It was a really peaceful, relaxing stroll through the forest. And then I see like something rustling up ahead and it looks like maybe it was another cow. I wasn't sure. But then the closer I got to it, um, I realized that this was a very large animal. And uh, really from the trees emerged this this bull, this this male cow. Um, it didn't have any horns, but it was quite massive. And it was alerted to my presence as I was getting closer. And it immediately found itself in in, a, in an aggressive sort of Posture, and I just froze because I was thinking, this is a dangerous situation. <laughs> this is not a situation I would, I would ever choose to be in. I am face to face with a bull that is aggravated. That it is, um, it's like stomping on the ground and it's like shaking its head and it is approaching like it's going to charge. And, and in this moment, I'm trying to like in like go through very quickly all the wildlife tips I've gotten over the years, you know, when you (laughs) run into like a wild animal, some, some of them tell you be big. Some of them say, be small. Some of them say, be quiet. Some of them say make loud noises. Some apply to bears some apply to coyote. and In this moment, I wasn't sure what applied to what I just threw my arms up in the air and I just made a sound and this and the bull in response, Just got like, you know, definitely, you know, stood back, but it made him even more aggressive. And he started, you know, Mm. breathing heavier, started stomping harder. And every time he was about to charge, I would at least delay the charge by throwing my hands in the air. And so, okay, like the only thing I want to do is just get the hell out of there. And so I try, you know, I try, you know, moving, you know, taking a step back, trying to like walk away. But as soon as I walk away, he starts moving towards me. So running away was going to only create like a chase situation running away is going to put me in danger, trying to like maybe shoo him away may create more danger. Like what the hell do I do? And then it was in that moment where I don't know, like I tapped into something inside of myself, um, in a, in a split second that wanted to connect with this thing and realize that this hmm. animal, while wasn't. An, was absolutely a threat to my existence in that moment is probably afraid of me as well. And maybe with the exception of very rare circumstances, you know, an animal attacks either for protection or for food. And as far as I don't, as far as I know, uh, bulls don't eat Egyptians. I think it's not part of the diet. (laughs) (laughs) So, um there was definitely a uh a, this was definitely a protection situation maybe there were a family of young you know calves back there obviously i was a threat to this this thing and i had to somehow convince him that i was you know that th- there was no threat over here and so i guess the 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 instinct that popped that like sort of kicked in was to identify and be the same as this, as this beast in front of me, and so I channeled all my inner wild animal, my inner aggressor, um, and downloaded in my own psyche this this idea that I'm also a bull, and I can equally destroy it as easily as it could destroy me which we know is absolutely not the case based on physics and (laughs) just (laughs) the size of this thing who cares about that yeah who cares about that we we got bigger fish to fry (laughs) science and so um and so yeah i just found you know the the first thing i did was just have you know match my breath to his and whichever rate he was breathing i was breathing too and then i just started talking to the bull you know talking to him and i believe you know, I called him brother. <laughs> That's, that was the first, that was the title that came to my mind because you know, here we are, we're two, you know, we're, we're, we're two animals in nature and there is, um, we're, we're equally uh, at an impasse. And so I wanted to connect to this idea that we are the same because maybe in that situation, I'll be able to have some resources or some intelligence in this, we are the same space to maneuver and navigate out of there. And what I had told him was, you know, hey, brother. Yeah, we're in a pretty bad situation here. Um, I know that if I come at you, um, you can easily destroy me. And I want to let you know that if you come at me, I plan to destroy you. So we can either destroy each other or we can like go off on our merry way. Pretty sure he didn't understand English, especially with my New York accent. So <laughs> I, uh, I'm thinking there was something in the breathing in the tone and in, in the eye contact that somehow changed the situation. Because this bull went from being in a very aggressive posture, shaking its head, stomping the floor, huffing and puffing to just like slowing down its breath. And my breath was slowing down too. And then just the muscles that were engaged had definitely been relaxed. And I just definitely noticed he was then looking at me with curiosity more than with aggression. At that point, I decided to test the situation by taking a step back. And unlike before, he didn't start coming at me. He just stood there as I took a step back. So I took another step back then i took a third step back and he started to take a step back himself started making a u turn and going off in his way and i just walked away both with a huge sense of relief obviously but like holy shit how how did this just happen and i would love to run out of there but i just need to walk very calmly out of this forest hoping this thing isn't following me but also like extremely excited that like that this experience happened because it was so enriching at the same time it was also like just really scary and uh but yeah i you know found my way out of there and i think within days i think i told you about it (laughs) guess guess what happened
0: (laughs) so yeah yeah. I remember being in, in awe of that because first of all, it's a really intense encounter. You're locked into this hyper somatic um, flight or, f- or fight response too, which, you know, your, your, your awareness of how somatic and how, how, how your, your physical sensations were changing. This was very interesting to me. Mm. Um, and your response of course is like, Holy shit, <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> being able to um, identify that as a way out is huge and it says a lot about communication in general that's what i took out of it and that's why i think the story is really worth sharing um, because we tend to think of communication as these fancy words that we've come up with and we've all become like linguists in one way or another and we try to appeal to each other with these constructs that we call words but really it's um there's, much, there's something much more fundamental to how we communicate with each other. And the idea of being able to use that beyond human beings just proves how uh, much more effective it would be <laughs> between human beings, right? Because I've never confronted a bull before, but I've, I've, I've confronted, confronted uh, any proverbial uh, bulls in my life um, and, and continue to find myself in these confrontations where I just want to either regain control or run away. Right. Those were always my two options. And what clicked for me at that moment was like, wow, yeah, there's there is something deeper and that makes sense. Uh, but like you said, just like, you know, when someone shares with you, oh, if uh, if you meet a mountain lion, you need to be big or make these sounds or do whatever. Like, that's not what you think about. What you think about is like something much more much deeper. And you probably don't need to watch a YouTube video to access. Um And I, and I think, you know, for you, there was like some. I don't think I would have reacted the same way. I probably just would have like run the other way immediately. Like I have, I'm, this is way over my pay grade, you know? Um, But I just, I just, I just wanted to take a walk in nature. And and I like to tell my friends that I love nature, but when nature confronts me that way, I just want to run away. And um, how can we, Kind of practice in a way that's outside of these YouTube videos that tell you what to do when you encounter a bull, but really practice for everyday life: how to feel more connected to nature, feel more connected to those around us, feel more connected to ourselves. How can how can we you know go about that?
1: That's a very good question, um, and it's a challenging one because many of us, especially if you're talking about how do we create more of an awareness of our place in the natural world. Many of us live in cities and metropolitan areas and situations that are really built to separate us from nature. And so it's an interesting question because I'm trying to answer it in the context of how could this apply to every person listening. I believe that part of it is an awareness and an acknowledgement of ourselves as as truly part of the natural world. You know, our religions um, often share creation stories where, and mankind was the exception. (laughs) All these things exist for mankind, you know, the plants, the animals, the the stars, everything is all about us. And we, we come from these creation myths that put us in a higher place as, you know, commanders of nature. And don't get me wrong, we have absolutely had the ability to manipulate and control nature because it's allowed us to create civilization and societies and agriculture and everything look around us. You know, we, we are always, te- uh, you know, te- trying to tame nature. And we also see that nature has, in one fell swoop, can remind us of how powerless we can be in its presence, in her presence. I have a good friend, uh, Andres. We were talking about ourselves and how we exist in the natural world. And he brought up this really interesting idea that we have a, um, some sort of an inherited trauma around our relationship to nature. From the moment we left our hunter-gatherer ways and we had to control nature and make sure that soil did certain things, that we can grow things a certain way, that we had to keep, you know, trees from growing on our land. We had to keep predators from eating our goats. We created a relationship with nature where we are saying we are apart from you. We don't coexist together because nature, you are a threat to me. And if you imagine any relationship, any human relationship where you have a sort of posture of, I need to keep you out, like what is like, tell me about the quality of that relationship. Are y'all you, are you having really nice dinners together? <laughs> Probably not, you know, and we have, we're talking, you know, millennia of this relationship between humans and nature, which for us, we may see it as something that we've achieved, but if we are truly part of this world, I can not imagine that there's not a part of us that isn't wounded because of the separation. So to go back to your question of, well, how can we, you know, how do we see ourselves in this universe and in in the natural world? I think first, firstly, we need to acknowledge and be aware of that we are actually not above nature. We are not somehow a superior being in the natural world. Being grounded in this gives me a new respect for nature. And I truly believe that part of what got me through that situation, as I told it, and as you wrote in, uh, in your story, in your book is like, because I was able to see myself as part of the natural world in that moment, I got the chance to, and the privilege of treating this, this beast as an equal. But can I tell you um, when I, when I read chapter one for the first time, First of all, I was thrilled to see how much of the story was told verbatim, like exactly as I told it to you. It was surreal to see it told outside of myself, number one. Number two, the last few sentences. Part of me feels like a coward for not continuing the hike. Another feels bad about putting myself in such a precarious situation. And the third part thinks it's so cool to be able to tell that story. I now realize That they are each trying to protect me and within that realization i find my purpose to keep the kingdom safe from all the shame that these voices carry within and i when i read that for the first time omar it was like boom It, it was like a punch to the gut in a very good way it was so like i resonated with that sentence or those sentences so much especially that last one to keep the kingdom safe from all the shame that these voices carry within And for sure, like this idea, like, you know, bulls in general and how we handle them, especially as a youngster, brings up a lot of shame. And, you know, shame is something that, you know, men, that human beings carry into adulthood. And this idea that we need to, you know, keep the kingdom safe from these, from these, uh, from these voices that carry, um, I think is like, it's it was so insightful that, uh, that you that you tapped into that because while that may not have been part of the actual you know situation with this animal like as we look back at our confrontations and as as we deal with as we look back and evaluate how we move through difficult situations there's always that, that thing about well how should i have been you know, and that whole idea of should definitely is you know shame is so plugged in with that, and um, but I love how you know you propose you know you, you 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 give Muscat this like this mission, this like holy grail of you know we're gonna keep the kingdom safe from these voices. What his motivation is for that? You know, I guess we're gonna find out. But what happens when the kingdom is safe? What is what is he able to do when the kingdom is safe? Um, but I just, I, I loved, I loved how you threw that in there. Um, because it really, like, it really drove, even though, again, this story happened to me, it just grounded me so much in terms of the, the importance of what happened. And yeah, I think it sets the stage beautifully for, for what's about to be told right after in chapter two.
0: Yeah. Thanks, man. And the idea of regaining control of the kingdom is um, is really you know, a tough act. This idea of how do we interact with, the, with these different voices, the one that's telling you to run away, the one saying which one is the right one, which one is looking out for you. And I think a big learning that I've learned on my own interactions and my own growth is the, that they're all looking out for you in one way or another. It's just that you you still can make a, a decision. And that's why this encounter with a bull or, you know, being in an accident, anything that really slows down time that way is, I think, one of the few windows where we don't have time to think about what each of these sounds and like play out different scenarios. It's more like you really tap into that, you know, internal self that is the actual decision maker and all these experiences in life everything all the advice that you got all the things that you did right everything you've messed up all come into like one single decision um and otherwise when we have time to spread them out there's a lot of shame in each voice because they're more like fighting with each other Mm -hmm. and it creates a lot of almost paralysis, I feel because we're overthinking it. But in that situation, what's so beautiful about it is that you had no time to think. It was just like, okay, what's, who am I now? And how am I going to act?
1: I love what you just said about how these voices actually do have a purpose and they do serve us. Because I think, you know, and totally like in pop culture, psychology, or at least in, you know, in the conversations, we want to, you know, silence these voices. We don't want confrontation within us. We, we want to feel good things. We don't want to feel bad things. And we relegate these things. We, we, we banish these voices. We say these voices shouldn't be here. Um, but I think like you said, like when you can acknowledge that these voices have a purpose. Um, and in giving those voices some air, we may not have to be, We may, we're not required to believe what they say. But I think in understanding their purpose, we end up being a lot more whole and integrated.
0: Talkist, this has been uh, a wonderful interview. Thanks for strong, starting us off very strong. You uh, really <laughs> raised the bar for me here.
1: <laughs> My pleasure, man. It's, it's always great talking with you. And it's, um, I'm thrilled to see this story out there in the wild um i look forward to especially you know having been having had read many parts of this story over this last year and engaging with it you know like with you through words through conversations through emails and uh, now that it's out there i'm excited to see how the rest of the world the rest of this planet engages with this story because um You know, I have have such a soft spot for the hero's journey and hero's journeys in general. And yeah, this new generation, we're we're hungry for for a new take at one. So I'm really excited that this is out there because, yeah, the world needs this. The world needs Muscat and, uh, you know, we are all him. So, uh, yeah, really excited to be part of this.
0: Thank you all for tuning in. This concludes our commentary on Chapter 1. Be sure to subscribe if you already haven't at gumption.substack.com. That's G-U-M-P-T-I-O-N.substack.com to be notified when I post new content. And you can also read the whole first part and 11 chapters of the book over there. This is Omar Shaker and I wish you all more kindness towards the bulls that live both within us and outside of us. Peace and see you next week.